So we're going to start in the notes today. We are actually moving into chapter 6. You can be happy about that. I want to do a little bit of contextual review, things you need to understand so that we read this correctly. So in your notes, let's look at number 1. Revelation 6, 1 through 1921 follow a progressive pattern. We talked about that last week. It moves from subtle to dramatic, from evangelistic to judgmental, and from confusion to clarity. These do not progress independently, but interactively and in conjunction with one another. So we're not looking for subtle to dramatic and then evangelistic to judgmental, and then confusion to clarity, we're going to see all three of these things progressing at the same time. So when we read it, we need to ask the question, is it, is, do I see it becoming more clear? Do I see the evangelism part? Do I see the judging part? Do I see how it's, it's becoming more dramatic? Do I see these things happening? And if you see them, you're reading it correctly. So we want to be looking for that. We want to acknowledge it and observe it. Number two, the seals and the trumpets are not judgment, but the bulls are. So we're going to progress. When you, when you start reading about the bulls, they are bulls of God's wrath being poured out. Number three, the entire tribulation is a call for repentance and salvation. That's the, probably the most important thing I want you to get from this whole study. We're not reading about God judging mankind from the beginning of Revelation on. What we're reading about is God doing what he's always done, providing new and fresh information, new and fresh interactions, providing another time. It happens to be the last time, but one more grand opportunity for mankind to turn in faith to him and accept him as Lord and Savior. So when we read everything we're going to read today and everything we're going to read for a few weeks, it's mainly about getting mankind's attention so that they can... They can choose correctly or choose at least knowing what their choices are to follow Christ or follow Satan. So it's very evangelistic. And then number four, the tribulation begins immediately after the rapture of the saints. So when the rapture takes place, we all won't be here to go, oh, ha, told you. But everyone else will go, what happened? Where did those people go? What was the common denominator? And they will reason through and they'll ask questions, they'll investigate, and it'll be on the evening news. It seems that millions and millions of Christians have vanished. They're going to ask the question, where did they go? How did they vanish? Is it going to happen again? Do we need to be afraid? They're going to ask all these questions. They're going to have to deal with these things. And they're going to produce answers. And that's part of what the tribulation is, what those answers are. How are they going to respond to God saying, hey, bold move, listen up. I did what I said I was going to do, and all the Christians are gone. What are you going to do with that information? How are you going to respond to me? And some will immediately go to their grandparents' Bible, a video they have on the shelf, a tract that they had received. They'll instantly remember conversations they had with the believers who shared the gospel, and they'll go, oh man, I need to get right with God right now before it's too late. And they'll bow their knee and their head and they'll pray and they'll ask for forgiveness of their sins and they'll be saved, but they'll be in the tribulation. Others will say, well, there's got to be some explanation other than God. Some because they don't want God to be it. Some because they refuse to let God be the explanation. 
and they will seek anything else they can come up with, aliens. Uh, maybe this was God, but he, he took them out as their punishment. So they'll, 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 they'll move things around, change the definitions, they'll, they'll spin it, and they'll come up with another explanation other than God. And then all the people on the earth will, will say, okay, am I going to believe it was God and this is exactly what he said he'd do and I should follow him? Or am I going to believe that there's a better way still ahead and this is just the beginning of that better way? So all this takes place right after the rapture. Some observations I want you to see when we read this. Initial observations. Number one. In verse 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 12, we see a, a very similar phrase. In, in 1, 3, 5, and 7, we see the exact phrase. In the 9 and 12, it's very similar. And it says, when the Lamb opened the first seal, second seal, third seal, such like that. When the Lamb opened. Then it says, and I, and I saw him open, or when he opened. So we see the Lamb opening the seals. That's important. Remember, God doesn't stutter. He doesn't forget that he already mentioned something. So when he repeats himself, we're supposed to ask the question, why is this being repeated? It's repeated with each of the seals because God wants us to know that he is the one doing this. Jesus Christ himself, the lamb who looked as if he had been slain. Remember, we saw him in the courtroom. He took the scroll. He opens the seals, and it is Jesus opening the seal. He's doing this on purpose, in his timing. So remember that. Then there's the phrase, I heard the living creature say, come. And it's the first living creature, second living creature, third and fourth. So I heard the second living creature say, come. And the first one says, in a thundering voice. And I wish I could do a thundering voice. I would love to impress you with my thundering voice. That doesn't just sound like I'm yelling. But with this thundering voice that ripples across the heavens. Think of the thunderstorm we had a, a couple weeks ago. That thundering voice the angel's going to say, come. This is in response to the opening of the seal. So picture Jesus holding the seal, in a, the scroll in his hand, and there's seven seals, like on your, on your handout. Seven seals. He opens the first one, and he reveals something. He opens the second one, and he reveals something else. He opens the third one. It continues to reveal. And each time, he says, the lamb opened the seal. Jesus is revealing something. And when the four living creatures say, come... They're responding to Jesus opening the seal, and, and this is what they're supposed to do, and then something happens. Something is revealed. This, this whole process, this ceremony, is to show us that Jesus is in control of this whole thing. In your notes, these phrases emphasize that Jesus, or God, is in complete control. These things aren't happening by accident. They're not being reported like Oh, wow, this is what happened. This is what I saw. No, this is, this is exactly how it was planned, exactly how it's being prophesied, and it's exactly how it will happen. So these phrases matter. Number two, second observation. Seals one through four take about three and a half years to be completed. Just in our usual reasoning, we would think that seven seals would be one per year because that makes sense. So, but we have to read it, we have to organize it, we have to think about things. Seals 1 through 4 take about three and a half years. How do we get that? Well, we bring in things from Daniel and we bring in things from Matthew, which I'm not going to do. I'm just going to ask you to believe me for now. And if you want to hear and investigate yourself, I would encourage you to go listen to John MacArthur preach about the seals. He takes about two to three weeks per seal. We're going to handle four of them today. 
So it's a lot longer, a lot more detail. He will go back and compare the Revelation Scripture with the Matthew Scripture and with the Daniel Scripture, and he'll do a lot of that. We're not going to take the time for that. Just know that the first four take about three and a half years. Seals five and six take another two and a half years to be completed. And then seal seven takes place in just a few months. Okay? Now, if you're good at math, which I know my math has come into question many times, three and a half and two and a half is six, and then you add a few months, that's not seven years. It's not seven years. I did that on purpose because we don't have exact timing for the seventh seal and all the things that are included in the seventh seal. That could be six months, which means the other took a little bit more than two and a half years. The, the second part is, is somewhat questionable because we don't have too many markers of time. But everyone agrees the first four take three and a half years. So it's getting faster. The seals, they, they happen slowly, then they speed up, and in the end it's rapid fire through the, through the bowl judgments. And then number three, seals reveal what has been written down and must come to pass. Okay, they reveal. I want you to, I want you to remember that. God is revealing. Okay, every time he opens a seal, he's revealing something to us. He, he, reveal, he opens the seal. John sees or hears or both. John writes it down. He's revealing to us. It's not judgment. He's revealing. He's saying, look what's happening. This is what's going to happen. You can compare notes when it does happen. It's going to happen just like I'm saying, so you know this is real. And then the second half, although, oh, let me read the whole sentence. Seals reveal what has been written down and must come to pass, although nothing... An, apop an apocalyptical prophecy can be understood with absolute certainty. I want to say that right up front. That's why it's about a few months and about two and a half years. We're looking forward. I want to remind you of the Old Testament prophets. And I want to remind you of the apostles who thought things were going to happen a lot sooner than they actually did. Who thought that prophecy would move at a faster pace. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots were all looking for a different Messiah. They knew the Messiah was coming. It was the hinge point of their faith. Yet when the, the, when the Messiah did show up, they missed him because they had a misunderstanding of prophecy. This exact same prophecy we have about that time, but we look backwards. So we see Christ fulfilling prophecy. The New Testament even tells us when he fulfilled prophecy. So we have 2020 vision looking back. They were looking forward. Well, we're looking forward. And there may be things we think we know that we don't. Things that we think is going to happen this way and it doesn't. So we take what it says as 100% accurate. And then we take what we understand from it with a grain of salt. So we're not going to die on this hill. I'm going to teach you what I and, and the majority of teachers believe. If I'm telling you something that's 50-50 or a lot of disagreement, I'll tell you that, and then I'll tell you what I think and why I think it. But we're moving into an area where it's prophecy. And prophecy always has a question mark next to it. That's not a weakness. It's just a reality. Okay, we're looking forwards into the unknown. So we can be absolutely certain of nothing. Let's read Revelation 6. Look for those phrases we talked about and hear what it has to say. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud 
and a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, peaceful, white, victorious horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain before the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until, the judge, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars, fell in the, in the, the, stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from the fig tree, as figs dropped from a trig, fig tree when shaken by strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, or his wrath, has come. And who can understand it? Who can withstand it? So we're going to look at these one at a time, these seals. If you're like me, you got to the end of the first seal, and your question was, what? What? When the Lamb opened this, the first seal of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Yeah, I've heard of that white horse. Four horses of the apocalypse. This is going to be good. It's right and held a bow. Okay. He was given a crown. Okay. And he went out, his conqueror, built on conquest. Okay. Like, what else? What else? Well, it doesn't tell us what else. It reveals to us what we need to know to identify what's happening. So we need to look in here and ask, what are the clues? Okay, let's look at our notes. Number one, horses represent power. And let me, let me say this. We have to read this like the first century individual would read it. Okay? When they go to war, the people on horses are the people in charge. 
they're the people that are supposed to come back. They're the people who are the best warriors. They get the horses, okay? The expendables walk. The important people get the horses. So the horse represents power. So this is a white horse. White usually represents peace. This is, is representing power. The bow represents force. It's a weapon. So this powerful person riding a horse has a weapon, and it says he goes in conquest. Conquest represents acquisition. So he's going out to do something. He's going out to get something. So it's, it represents power, force, and conquest. Number two, the bow is a silent and subtle weapon. It doesn't go bang and it doesn't go boom, and it doesn't explode when it hits its target. It's a stealthy way of killing, so it's silent and subtle. But number three, a bow without arrows, which we have here, no arrows are mentioned, a bow without arrows tells us that he wins the battle without having to fight. So he is strong, and he can fight, and he, he does have a weapon, but he doesn't need any arrows. The, the battle is going to be won without a fight. Remember, this is called Peaceful Beginning. If you look at your chart, that's the title of this section. Number four, the phrase, he was given a crown, tells us that he was made king, perhaps elected. He was given a crown. He didn't have authority, but he was given authority. He was not a ruler, but he was made a ruler. So, a powerful person who has the ability to use force acquires authority, acquires a crown. And then number five, this first seal takes place over the majority of the first three and a half years. So I want you to think this is a slow process. This didn't happen in a week or a month or even a year. It's three and a half years, almost the entirety of the first half of the tribulation. The majority of that time, we have this taking place. Summary, on the other side of your page, there's summary. Someone is given power to take control of the world politically, is elected to power by those whom he is in alliance, and he does so without violence. Now, how does this happen? Remember the rapture. All the Christians are removed. A whole bunch of Christians, in their mind, the sinner's mind, the person who's not following Christ, the Christians are the troublemakers. They're the ones that keep harping on this and harping on that. They're the ones ruining our fun here and ruining our fun there. They're the ones who keep bringing up morality and keep bringing up rights and, and keep reminding us of what truth is. These are the people who are getting in the way of what I want to do and what I think will be fun and what my group says is a good idea. It's those Christians that are causing the trouble. So the rapture takes place, the Christians are all gone, those very same people that say those things now will say those things again. They might say, you know what? God is real. And isn't this great? In order to save humanity, God has removed the cancer. He's taken away all the naysayers. He's taken away all the people that get in the way of progress. He's taken away all the people that aren't ready to move forward. And now that they're gone, we can move forward. And they lay out the marching orders. And they say, you know what, we got a big project ahead of us. we got to clean up all the mess from the rapture. All the planes that crashed, all the fire trucks that weren't manned anymore, all the, all the everything, all the chaos left behind, we got to clean all this up. And it's worldwide, so we're going to declare a world 
wide emergency. And we're going to get all the powers of the world together. And if we're going to do this, we have to, we have, to have leadership and management. So we're going to pick six or seven or eight or ten or twelve leaders to come together. And, and they're going to be in charge. And we're going to give them our resources. They will, they will tell us where to send our people. They'll tell us what to do with our people, where to send our resources. And they're going to clean the place up. And they're going to make the world a better place. We're going we're to accomplish these things. And you know what? They will. They're going to accomplish these things. And then that political body, who's going to receive a lot of praise and a lot of accolades and a lot of awards for what they've done, will sit together and they'll say to themselves, well, you know, this power we have, it's working out really well. We shouldn't give it away. Let's, let's retain and then we're going to have the first worldwide government. We have the first worldwide government. I believe this will be the first successful one. That's an opinion. I have nothing to back that up from Scripture. But the first or second or third worldwide government will be formed. These people will sit in authority. And they're going to do this for three and a half years. And they're going to put out programs. And they're going to do everything that a government would do. And the people who are left are going to say, wow, this is great. Now that we're all on the same side, we can do what we want to do, this is great. And that's going to be quite a while of this first three and a half years. And in that group of leaders will be the Antichrist. That's the note. The leader of this group is very likely the one who will become the Antichrist. I can't know that for sure, but I feel it pretty strongly. In the don't know it for sure category, I wrote, will very likely be the one who becomes the Antichrist. In the what I think is going to happen, I would say that the Antichrist is definitely in this group and will probably be the leader or next to the leader because he is going to come stealthily. So the first seal is a peaceful beginning. And, and, and what's described here is someone taking over, gaining power in the world, maybe a group of people, and they're in charge and everything's going great. And then seal number two, the hostile takeover, verses three and four. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, I'm going to reveal more. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. This is going to be exciting. It's not peaceful anymore. Its rider will be given, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. Power to take peace from the earth. Not observing what's happening, but causing what's happening. Its writer was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Number one in your notes, this is very close to the three and a half year mark. Seal number one took the majority of it. We are right at, right near the three and a half year mark. Peace is taken from the earth. How is this going to happen? Well, my guess is that a bunch of powerful people in a room sharing power aren't going to want to share power very long. They're going to say, you know what would be really even better than this? What would be better than ten of us sharing power? Five of us sharing power. And what would be better than five of us sharing power? Two of us sharing power. And what would be better than two of us sharing power? Me having the power and everyone serving me. And I believe they're going to start infighting with each other, and it's going to erupt, and it's going to be a big deal. And so peace is taken from the earth. And, and literally, God says, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to show you what Satan has to offer, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to show you where it goes. 
So number three, this time, the Antichrist and his allies are those who are willing to serve him, willing to fall under him, or recognize he's the one. They're going to fall under his authority. The Antichrist and his allies retain power and control by force. Remember, peace is taken from the earth. This angel is giving a, given a large sword, and, and people are going to kill each other. So it's going to be a, 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 at least a small fight, maybe a big fight, but these people aren't going to get along. They're going to be clawing after power, uh, trying to retain what they had, trying to get back what they lost. And the Antichrist will rise up, and this time he'll use force to do it. Number four, the phrase large sword tells us that now he has great military power. So he had gained political power in seal number one. Now he has added to the political power military power or militaristic power. Here's a summary statement. Human nature takes over and those in power no longer wish to share power, but fight with each other to take control. The Antichrist wins the power struggle using weaponry and violence. In the end, the Antichrist now has both political and military authority over the entire world. So in three and a half years, we've gone from status quo to worldwide government to worldwide dictator. And this guy is he's, he's not going to be who everyone thought he was going to be. He'll have enemies, but he'll have the power. Now he's in charge. Seal number three is next. Verse five and six. So when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. Now it's time. This is what's going to happen. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. And that's it. What are the clues? Well, we, we look at those phrases. We ask, what do these things mean? Two pounds of wheat. Well, in your notes, two pounds of wheat is food for one adult for one day. We have to have people research this, reason it out, figure out what this means. They knew. They read it. They knew. Okay? You're going to work all day long for enough food for you. And in that day in particular, usually one person went to work to care for the whole family. They worked in the field, or they worked for somebody else, and they brought home enough for the family. And he says, now your day's wage is going to be enough to feed you and you alone. Six pounds of barley is food for one family for one day. But it's not Safeway or Fred Meyer or even McDonald's. It's feed stock. When they say a, a six pounds of barley is enough to feed a family, yeah, your family will have food for the day, but it's not good food. It's not nutritionist food. It's not sustaining food. It's just food. There'll be food to put in your mouth. So what, what would this be? This would be a famine. This would be a huge recession or depression. Number two, oil. You can cross out the word heat. I kind of got ahead of myself there. Oil was used for light and for cooking. It, it lit their homes, it, it lit the path, and it was their, what they cooked with. Today, it's used for energy, including heat and mobility. 
So I don't know if we're allowed to add a little bit there or not, but oil comes in many different forms. Their oil was olive oil, and they used it for light and for cooking, and it was something they used daily. It was a, a daily necessity, like we would look at electricity and running water. Okay, we can add energy and mobility because another form of oil, but they were, they were heating and cooking, so what they heard was, be careful with your oil, and then wine. Okay, guard your wine. Do not damage the wine or the oil. The wine was their main drink other than water, often in place of water. Now, their wine wasn't what you go to the store and buy in a bottle. Okay, your bottle of wine and their wine was not anywhere near the same thing 95% of the time. They had that kind of wine, and they had strong drink, but normal wine was more like the grape juice. And they actually had ways of preserving it so it wouldn't ferment, so the whole family could drink it any time they wanted. And their water wasn't great, and certain times of the year it was less than great, and they would drink this wine that was their main liquid. So if they didn't want to starve to death, or they didn't want to um, dehydrate, they, they drank this water and whatnot. And so what we have here are, are necessities. Your bare necessities are going to be hard to come by. When it says, do not damage the oil or the wine, if you break the vessel the oil's in, the oil is, is poured out, is dispersed, it's really hard to get back. The same with the wine. It goes through the cracks, it absorbs into the floor, it, it, it absorbs into the ground, it's gone. So really be careful about that. Do not damage the oil and the wine. And the food that you need to eat, it's going to be hard to come by. So number three, the skirmish which elevates the Antichrist to power, and the skirmish might be too small of a word, the battles that will take place, the economic uh, sanctions that will take place, the military uh, causes that will be taken on, all these things, this huge battle, when the Antichrist rises up, it's going to cause the economy to fail. So the skirmish, which elevates the Antichrist to power, also brings about famine and recession. And, and God says, this is what's happening. Let me reveal this to you. What is God saying? Summary of seal number three. God is showing what Satan, through the Antichrist, has to offer humanity. This is what Satan has to offer. The result of his reign is war, starvation, recession, and poverty. So remember when I said that, that if we didn't have the rapture, we wouldn't know tribulation was happening? Because these things can happen today. We hear all the time about people trying to create a global government. We hear all the time about famine. We hear all the time about pestilence and plagues and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it wouldn't be that obvious that God is bringing this about for a purpose if it wasn't for the rapture. So that answers one of those questions, why the rapture? Because God is signaling that the tribulation is beginning, and the tribulation tells everybody, you only have seven years. You need to get on board now. And he's also showing all those who haven't chosen sides yet, this is what Satan has to offer. It's not what I'm offering you. Seal number four, verses seven and eight, says, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Think of pale like you get up in the morning, and you look at your family member, and you go, man, you look pale. Are you feeling all right? That's the kind of pale we're talking about here. There was a pale horse. 
Its rider was named Death. And Hades followed close behind. That's an interesting phrase. It's kind of a, 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 an idiom or a, a, it's a phrase they use. Because if death, Hades means the grave here. Like death and the grave, they're going to be commonplace. There's going to be funerals all the time. There's going to be death all the time. Its rider was named Death and Hades. Followed close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now in your notes, where it says they were given power over a fourth of the earth, this was both empowering, in other words, they got permission, or they were given an assignment, this is also limiting. It's also limiting. This rider that went out under God's command could have wiped everybody out. Could have decimated everything. Could have, could have ended it right there. Jesus, with his own spoken word, could have ended it right there. So this is a limiting factor. It could have said, three-fourths of the earth will be left alone, or three-fourths of the earth will remain. Okay? They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and wild beasts. Number two in your notes, war brings famine. Not too hard to figure that out. War brings famine. It's a thing. Famine brings plague, which is basically sickness and disease. Okay, all three bring poverty and, de and, and desperation, which cause men to compete with animals for food. That's the strange phrase that we read. So they were given power of a fourth of the earth to kill by sword. That's war. Famine, that's hunger. Plague, that's disease. And the wild beasts of the earth. Why the wild beasts? Are the wild beasts going to revolt? Are they going to be like, finally, we get to be in charge. I'm going to go get me a human. No. Humans are going to go where they're not supposed to be. When you're starving, you go out looking for food. Humans who are not equipped to deal with animals are going to be out with the animals looking for food. They're going to encounter animals, and the animals are going to kill them. With God's permission. Interestingly enough, it says one-fourth of the earth. But what does one-fourth of the earth mean? Well, I did a little research, used my Google machine, and I found out that if we take the Western Hemisphere, that's, that's the Western Hemisphere, look that up, it's, it's the opposite of the Eastern Hemisphere. Take the Western Hemisphere of the world, and I, and I ask the question, how much land is that? Of all the land in the world, how much land is the Western Hemisphere? What's well, 29%? Western Hemisphere is... Canada, United States, Mexico, South America. Maybe even parts of the poles. 29%. That's pretty close to a fourth, right? So just think of all the people in all those places. They're dead. They've died by sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild animals. That's the number we're dealing with. Then I thought, I wonder how much land is on the Western Hemisphere. And I was surprised at this one. That's 29% of the land. It's the population. population it's 18% of the population. 18% of the population of the world lives in the Western Hemisphere. I would have thought that was higher. But it's not. And so I asked the question, why, why does that matter? Why are we being told a fourth? Uh, it's more than just a marker. It's, it's more than just interesting. Here's Here's the question I have, and I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. Let me tell you up front, speculating. We always ask the question, where's the United States in all this? 
Where's Canada? Where, where are these powerhouses that should be involved in world matters? Where are they at? Why is it always European nations and, and people from the north and the south of Israel? Why, why is it them and not us? Maybe because the battles will be fought in the Western Hemisphere and the plagues and the famine will take place in the Western Hemisphere and we'll be the ones out, or our neighbors, not us, will be out wandering around trying to find food and provision with the animals and we'll be killed by the animals. Do I know that's going to happen? Absolutely not. There's no possible way I could know that. But it does offer an explanation of what happens in the United States. If, if this part of the world is decimated and there's just a few people running around surviving and that's it, then all the other world events that take place are of that part of the world. And then everything fits perfectly in line. There's no mention of, of the United States in, in the tribulation. There's, there's no reference. No one can find us there. The best scenario of us being a nation involved is that we simply join up with someone over there and we're represented in them. No longer our own entity. We're part of them. But we're not there. What that tells me is that maybe we're not as important as we think we are. I hate to say it, but maybe we're not as important as we think we are. And maybe the United States, as good as it's been, and as evangelistic as we have been, and as free as we have been, are going to be swallowed up by the Antichrist. Like, the Antichrist and those who follow him are going to eliminate the freedoms we have and are going to eliminate the attitude we have about our freedoms, and maybe we're not going to be around. Maybe in this first three and a half years, our civilization will be the one that disappears. Why does that matter? Because a lot of people think that when the rapture comes, I'll know it. Then I'll know for sure God is real. Then I'll serve him. Well, you might be in one of those planes that crashes because your pilot and co-pilot were Christians. You might be the passenger on a bus driven by a Christian. You, you might be in a building that gets hit by a plane that was flown by a Christian. You may not get the opportunity to say, oh, wow, the rapture, it's time now, I better get on board. You might not get that time. And you might think that Oh, when it comes, I've seen the movies, I'll join the resistance. And, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And you might not have that opportunity. You might be in the fourth of the population that gets killed at three and a half years into the tribulation. You might be there. Our job as believers here on earth is to share the gospel. That's one of the reasons we need to actually be sharing the gospel. One, the people that we're sharing with may not be given the second chance of living through the rapture. It could be a hundred years from now. It could be tomorrow. They might not make it through. So we can't say they'll figure it out one day. We need to share today. Okay? And, and two, if they do make it through, Maybe it'll be our voice that they hear explaining to them that they need to give their life to Christ and have their sins forgiven. So right there's two reasons in our own little passage here about the tribulation where we won't even be present that tells us we need to be witnessing to our friends and our family.
We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be inviting people to church. Well, that's the first four seals. That's about three and a half years in. We have seal five and six, and remember the seal five and six are going to take longer. And then seal seven opens up the trumpets. And the seventh trumpet opens up the bulls. So things are going to start moving fast. But we're three and a half years in. Satan has tried. He's made his play. It's fallen apart. He's had to take power. He's had to take, take control by power. Pretty much at this point, everyone knows who the players are. We have this fellow who says he's God that we can pretty much tell isn't. And we have God who's been displaying his power all along. And people are going to start having to choose. So when the, the tribulation comes, it's all about God saying, choose now. You don't have a lot of time. Now normally we go into a lot of application and stuff like that, but this says part one on the top of your notes. That's literally part one. We're going to pick it up right there, and we're going to do the fifth and sixth seals next week, or next time we gather, next time I'm teaching. So we're going to hear from this. So keep this in mind. Do your best not to miss any of these weeks, or make sure you listen online, because these, these things just go one after another. And if you miss something one week, it's going to make a difference the next week. Evangelism has always been on God's heart. It is on his heart during the tribulation. But he's saying your time is limited. And it should, it should remind us now how important it is to share the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father God, thanks for our time. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the clues you gave us that, that we can see and look into and gain a perspective. We might not have all the facts right. We're not presenting that we do. But this is definitely a possibility, and there's going to be a large part of it that's very accurate. We know the things that you've said are going to be accurate. We know for sure that. Lord, give us the insights we need to read between the lines and, and figure this stuff out. I pray that this is an encouragement to us, that the things we're learning encourage us, that you're in control, that, that you're, you're responding to sin, that justice is on the forefront, and that heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, are getting closer and closer. Help us to serve you well during the week. In your son's name I pray. Amen.